Welcome, dear listener, to Volume 4, Episode 2 of Weekend at Crombies. And for this month's podcast, we will be deep diving Miller's Crossing. Ah, dear listener, yes, the February edition of Weekend at Crombies, it's Hugh's choice. But before we get on to Hugh, first of all, let me introduce myself. My name is Dr. James Evans Esquire. And there's one thing I always try to teach my boys. Always put one in the brain. Thank you, James. And as you said, I'm Hugh. I was just in the neighbourhood feeling a little daffy. (laughs) Yes, and... um, to today we today? are going to, today indeed or indeed tomorrow or yesterday depending on when you're listening to the podcast well from, from um, our perspective it's today we're doing yeah, it today it's, we're doing yeah. it now it's we're lifetime not, we're not recording this tomorrow are we we're not unless things go seriously wrong <laughs> but um we have both watched uh huge choice of february which was uh, miller's crossing uh, 1990 film cohen brothers Gabriel, very early uh, cohen brothers their third one i believe Third, yep, third Cain Brothers film. So, Very early, I don't know, without further ado, Hugh, should we should we get on with it? Now, this is another very very complex plot. We've had a few in a row now. Yeah, it is a. I hadn't, I'm not sure I thought of it at the time, but it is. Yeah, it's a real spaghetti junction of a plot. So we will it's try and get you through this um, yeah. as lightly as possible, and then we can dwell on some of the moments maybe, and then when we get to the analysis, we can deep dive into some of the bits. But yeah. to begin with, um, the uh, the it's it's prohibition era, so it's set in a an, a nondescript like New England city, like Chicago, well, not Chicago, like um, Boston or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's not even Chicago. It's not New England, but there we are. So it's a prohibition era city run by again an irish boss um leo who's played by albert finney uh, leo's number two guy his advisor is tom reagan played by gabriel byrne um now the the crux of this is this mob boss is running against a rival mob boss uh, sort of lesser to leo but up and coming um this is an italian um guy casper johnny casper uh, played by john polito and his number two guy uh, eddie dane played by uh, J.E. Freeman, yeah. and, uh, and I'd, I'd say John John Polito's Johnny Casper is he's he's quite a character. He was he was one of my favourite character roles, uh, Johnny Casper. Yeah. He John Polito is probably the best role he's ever played. He absolutely yeah. nails it. Um, he's just yeah. yeah, this the sweating uh, this the sweating <laughs> fretful. Yeah. Uh, choleric gangster um, yeah. he's absolutely brilliant in it. and it, it, it so kicks off the first scene is um leo and and casper having a sit down and discussing the situation around which the whole plot rests which is that casper has been um essentially fixing fights to make money and one of his bookies bernie who he places money with has been selling tips on the way casper bets so everyone will know which fight is going to win a certain way and all of a sudden everyone starts betting on that winner and therefore casper starts losing money because the odds go to go the other way um so and casper is outraged that you can't trust a fixed fight because if you can't trust a fix then you've got anarchy yeah we're the ethics he's very big on ethics i'm talking about character i'm talking about friendship i'm talking about ethics um and in a way it, it does kind of make sense actually it sounds ridiculous but it sounds like you're making fun you can't trust to fix what can you trust but if there's a certain natural order to the criminal underworld it, bernie it's, is disrupting like omar from the wire isn't it you know you don't you don't hate the player hate the system 
Yeah, and and yeah, so and, and yeah, Bernie, um, who is not, we don't see. They're all talking about him. This bookie, Bernie Barnbarn, um, is is disrupting this by by basically um, selling tips. And Casper wants to kill him. Uh, Leo says no. He basically says, um, you know. I'm not going to, Bernie also pays me for protection like you do. I'm not going to let you kill him. Casper says, well, I didn't ask you. I'm just telling you. And the British he leaves at that point. Casper is very angry and gunning for Bernie. And Leah refuses to do that. Um, and but again, it's hard to say because the, the information in this plot is revealed. So I'll just try and get to the point of it is that um, Tom uh, advises against this. Once Casper and the Dane have left, um, I should mention the Dane. Again, Jay Freeman is a very tall guy and the Dane mm. is played ultra menacingly he's a uh, he's made even taller by a long coat and a hat and he just glowers at people so he's clearly this kind he's, of grim reaper. yes he he would be in in any normal coen brothers film he would be the he'd be peter stormer um yes. uh, but but i don't think peter stormer was available for this film so they got jay freeman again and he is very menacing i think it was it was it was a, a fortuitous um disrecasting because yeah. he yeah. yeah he's perfect in the role of just this terrifying character who's uh, again casper's right hand man um so tom is is advising leo that give up bernie because he has broken the rules leo refused to do that um because we later find out that um leo's girlfriend is verna um yeah. verna is um bernie's sister so therefore leo is trying to protect bernie um, however, we don't know this at first because Tom then goes off, plays cards, loses a lot of money and loses a hat, which we find he is very attached to because throughout the entire movie, he's really without this hat. Um, so he heads straight off to Werner's house to claim his hat back um, and then basically gives in to what appears to be a long held temptation and sleeps with her. Um, so Tom has now betrayed his boss and friend Leo um, with Werner. We then find the situation has escalated when um, someone, one of Leo's goons, a character named Rug, because he always wears a wig, has been found <laughs> shot dead in an alley. Leo put this person on Werner to follow around to keep her out of trouble. Um, but uh, he's now been found dead. No one knows who killed him. But Leo assumes it was a warning shot by Casper. So he then sets his, he's got the mayor and the, the chief police in his pocket. So he sets them to um, start turning over Casper's joints and breaking it's, up his it's quite, business. It's quite a funny scene with with Rug as well, because <laughs> you don't know who he is. You, you see him just, he's been shot and he's dead in yeah. the alleyway. And this 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 kid walks up. Well, and, you, don't, you, uh, you don't even see him dead in the alley. It's classic Combers. You see a little dog looking at something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then, then it pans back to to the to the body, and this so child, pans back this to child, a small boy looking at something too. <laughs> yeah, this child yeah. basically takes takes his wig yeah. off this dead body, and then it, it, like a scene a bit later, you've got Leo and Tom talking about it, and Leo is basically saying, "Did you, you know? Did you hear about Rug? Yeah, R.I.P. They took his hair, Tommy. Jesus, that's strange. Why would they do that? Maybe it was the engines. <laughs> so it's almost like it's almost like Leo is presuming that it's some kind of um, yeah, yeah. statement where it's just some kid has stolen his yeah. wig. Which is a nice microcosm of, of everything because this again, film is full of little details that people interpret not always in the correct way. Yeah, you're um, right. And um, so, so this now has escalated. So Casper, uh, uh, having made an overture to Tom to try and buy him off uh, and to kind of basically smooth things over with Leo and give up Bernie, um, Tom refuses and is very kind of slick and he's very cool under pressure, Tom. Um, he generally doesn't lose his nerve. And so he basically 
um, blows Casper off and is threatened with a beating. But before that can happen, the police come in and start beating up Casper's goons and turning over Casper's um, big yeah. easy speakeasy. Um, this then escalates, so Casper sends two um, gunmen after Leo at his own home, which again sets off this lovely scene um, set to the music of Danny Boy, which could be the theme of Weekend at Crombies because we had that for um, Memphis Bell as well. We um, right. But as, as an old record player screeches Danny Boy, um, Albert Finney basically has to outwit and outgun these Tommy Gun guys yeah. who are charging after him. Um, in this... he, he does it in quite extraordinary fashion, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yes. He managed to... I mean, it ends with him just in the middle of the street with you know, a Tommy Gun that holds a million bullets just gl- blazing down this this uh, model t as it races down the thing shooting back at him so it's, it's very stylistic as danny boy keeps playing yeah uh, i was very impressed with albert finney's gymnastics as he swung himself out the window hung off the edge of the the awning below his window and then jumped down to the floor it's pretty good for what would have been maybe a, a, a someone in their mid-60s i know well he was wearing slippers as well so you know <laughs> well that's cushioning isn't it yeah um so now so now again though though leo has survived the assassination attempt now all of a sudden um he's looking weak because his house is burnt down so all of a sudden the mayor and the uh, and the chief police have switched over to um to uh to casper's side they basically they disappear from leo's orbit and end up around casper so the, the balance of power is shifting um at the same time um Gabriel Byrne again, who's continued to sleep with Werner, um, and can have like they may have a very um, very rocky relationship because when they're not sleeping together, they're normally yelling and throwing things at each other. Um, <laughs> because Tom, Tom Tom is very open in saying that Werner is a no good tramp and 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 Leo should ditch her. And even Werner thinks again, Tom is a is a rum soaked idiot. Um, so they the thing is, Tom, Tom knows that Werner is a is a, a a tramp because she's sleeping with him. Yes, yes, they do. They have they do have the evidence. <laughs> this is it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, because so he's certainly drawn to her. Um, so I suppose at one again we should also mention at, at some point um, Tom is accosted by Steve Buscemi in a single scene playing a, a kind of a, a a perfectly and rapid fire scene where Steve Buscemi is playing a, a small Weasley um, bookie named Mink Larui. Um, Mink is a friend of both Bernie and Eddie the Dane, um, and uh, essentially is. I think it's, it's, it's um, played low key that actually Bernie and Mink are lovers and so is Mink and Eddie. Of course, if yeah. Zidane ever found this out, he would kill Mink and Bernie. Um, and Mink is, is kind of being kept um, in a nervous state by Bernie, so he will do his bidding because even though Bernie is no longer in the being Casper's bookie, Mink is being kept in the know. So, um, But all this is, is performed in about 30 seconds. when, when Literally Steve, about 30 yeah, seconds. Steve Buscemi comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm trying to think who does who does Pete, who does um, Steve Buscemi look like in in this? I can't think of what the actor is. Oh, it's Peter Peter. Is it Peter Laurie? Oh yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, 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 he's yeah. such a strong resemblance with the with the bug eyes and the, the cigarette smoke. Oh yeah, and slick back hair. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's again his uh, his performance is incredibly quick, full of gangster slags. Like he's a straight shooter, real square deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, the kind of go go look at him. What are you? He's a smatter. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't like, we're just talking. We're just talking now. He's really real square deal. I don't know why, but he's got a square deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so the, the the upcoming of that is that that Mink is playing both sides of the equation. Um, and he's in both Bernie's pockets and the Dane's pockets and is a, is a, a bookie. This comes important later, even though, again, we'll come to how the scene is set. But then this is Mink is referred to before the scene and after the scene. And he appears in this scene. So this is a film you need to stay on your toes with. Mm. Um, and at this point then. So, yes, um, uh, Tom has basically had enough with Leo's indecision. You know, they're in real trouble now. You know, they're losing political support left and right. He's just saying, give up Bernie, we will regroup and we'll make and we'll, you know, we'll get out of this fix we're in. And Leo is basically being very determined not to do any of that. He thinks he can still find his way out of this, at which point Tom reveals that he was sleeping with Werner. Um, 
I think Tom at this point also suspects that Werner, Werner killed Rug because yeah. um, Rug was following Werner and Rug would have seen himself yeah, and Werner sleep together and Werner killed him to keep their secret because they he Werner has the type of gun that killed uh, Rug and therefore he thinks that's what it is. Um, and he reveals to, to Leo that he was sleeping with her. Uh, Leo basically punches Tom all the way out of his office, all the way down the corridor and all the way down the stairs. Um, so those those two are now, are now done. If uh, I never see him again, it'll be too soon. That's <laughs> my terrible impression. That's as, that's as, I'm not going to do any more. Oh, no. Do some more. <laughs> at, which, at which point um, Tom then switches over to Casper, coming into him contrite and basically in need of a job and protection from Leo. He's found out where Bernie is hiding. Oh, no, Bernie is, at this point has actually... Um, has broken into Tom's house. Yeah. John he appeared. Turturro, he's appeared. John's... He broke into to, uh, Tom's uh, apartment. Yes, we should mention Tom is uh, throughout the movie an incredibly unlucky gambler. He's constantly yeah. putting money on horses that that lose, or in fact, don't just lose, lose spectacularly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he's he's owe, he owes this um, big time bookie, Lazar. kind of gangster Lazar. Yeah. Uh, it's like five hundred dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, I suppose. But it keeps on increasing as it keeps on making bad bets, um, yeah. and so that's that's a constant threat over Tom because like they keep mentioning, oh, Lazar's going to break your neck, Lazar's going to beat you up, Lazar's going to kill you, whatever. Um, but they, they, the way they reveal these these losses, things like um, what are horses have instead of knees, fetlocks. If I was a horse, I'd be on my fetlocks now, praying you don't bet on me. <laughs> um, but so uh, so yes, Tom is in red. And so, firstly, Casper, when he makes his overture, threatens to um, not threatens, offers to buy off his bookie, and Gabriel Byrne, um, Tom Regan, refuses. Uh, Leo had offered to do the same as a friendship gesture, and Tom had again refused, saying, "You know, it's my debt." And now Bernie has appeared in his um in his uh, in his in his house, uh, basically sloped in his armchair, waiting to turn the lights on, and just saying, "I will also pay off the debts because I know when the big fixed fight is coming through." Because Mink has told me, um, "If you'll only you know help things smooth over with you, put in a good word for me." So um, yeah, and it's also, a really slimy performance from John Turturro as well. It's it's it's, it's very memorable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, she's full of uh, yeah, greasy charm. Yeah. Um, and so, but since that meeting, um. Yeah, Tom has now found out where Bernie is hiding because uh, Werner was told him. He's basically said, you know, I've got to get Bernie out of here. Tell me where he is. He then goes straight to Casper and gives up Bernie immediately, um, whilst also sprinkling the idea that Mink and Bernie are in this together, which the Dane is very unhappy about. Mm. But um, but then so Tom is then dispatched with two of Casper's goons to to drag Leo out of the hotel he's hiding in and then take him off to Miller's Crossing, which is a... Uh, again, an abandoned place in the middle of this very autumnal woods where um, people... It looks lovely. It's very nice, and it's a good thing because it's the last thing many people see. Because apparently, Miller's Crossing is the place everyone knows you go when you want to leave someone dead there. Yeah, uh, and and sure enough, I mean, but yeah, if Bernie, it's interesting because from that first meeting when Bernie is all self-assured and charming, he is now hysterical. He's basically half dressed. He's you know the ragged shirt and his braces are hanging off him, and he and knows he's got no exactly. shame, has he? He's got no shame. He's he'll he'll do anything. Is, yeah, he knows exactly where he's going, and yeah, he's not—he's not sort of um, taking it on his feet. He is basically clinging onto the car bumper so they don't drag him out. He's—he's he's screaming, "I don't want to die! They're going to kill me!" Um, and all this kind of stuff. And he literally has to be dragged out the car to Miller's Crossing. At which point, Tom is given the unexpected news that he has been uh, nominated to execute him. He clearly is not expecting this. So the goons give him a pistol and say, "Take him out, put one down, and then put the other one in his brain." Um, and it's a test, the... isn't it? It's—it's—it's it's, it's basically Casper yeah. saying saying. If you know, prove yourself. Yeah, and because um, actually, we put mention here, that Tom, I think at this point has eschewed any kind of violence whatsoever. He, he has, in yeah. a very violent yeah. world, yeah. he's almost either as a point of pride or, or something else, or morality has not actually acted in violence. He'll he'll certainly um, 
advi- advise violence on other people, but he hasn't actually got his hands dirty. And um, this is Bernie alludes to this in the uh, in the journey further into the woods, but saying, you know, we're different. We're not like them. There's no reason to kill me. We're not the same. Yeah, they're, they're, they're basically they're, they're taking a long walk into the woods again with, with Tom saying nothing and Bernie pleading in any possible way for his life, um, which again is a hell of a performance from Tatura because he's just yeah. giving everything. He's he's going for he's going like say reasoning. We're not killers. We're not like those people. Then he goes to like like pity, saying I don't want to die. Don't ki- don't yeah. don't um, don't kill me look like into your heart. Look into yeah, your heart. It, yeah, it ends up with him just on his knees, just saying looking to your heart, looking to your heart. Um, at which point, again, a gunshot rings out, and it's not shot Bernie. He's he's spared Bernie. Um, at which point, Gable Bernie just says, "You know, get out of here. You're dead. Never show up again. We're done." Um, mm-hmm. Which Bernie's only too happy to do. And of course, at that point, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, so we're back to business, and 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 um, again, Tom is now in, in cahoots with uh, with Casper, and again, the tables are turning on. But again, no no sooner than Tom can get home. Uh, and settle into his chair then bernie has appeared because um bernie has, has worked out that actually if bernie was found out not to be dead tom's in real trouble with casper so actually he's got one over on him mm. so bernie is now um putting it's good logic up. it's it very good, good logic. logic and and i i was thinking that same thing the moment that um tom reagan didn't kill bernie you'd have shot him wouldn't you yes i would <laughs> <laughs> For that very reason, that yeah. there is no way that a character like Bernie Birnbaum is not going to cause me hassle. Yeah, yeah, and and sure, if he turns up causing hassle and basically saying my conditions for for you know for not grassing you up is I want Casper dead, kill Casper in a couple of days, or I start eating in restaurants. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good line, isn't it? Yeah, and and so again, so now Tom is in all sorts of pickle. Um, at which point he's it's further complicated by the fact that the Dane. Um, is is highly suspicious of Tom. They've never liked each other, um, and he, he basically uh, follows him to to see that he's hanging out with Werner. So he works out why is Tom hanging out with the person who killed his brother, and then he speaks to the two goons that took Tom out into the uh, the forest, only to find the two goons never saw the execution take place. They hang out by the car while he took a walk. So he is now- another thing I was thinking at the time. Well, if I was if I had any goon quality about me, I'd have gone with Tom. <laughs> into yes. the woods <laughs> that is poor line management isn't it <laughs> it is it is yeah that would have been a yeah. that's a disciplinary days so he, and, they so, got, and they got disciplined they did get disciplined yeah which is interesting because um again one of, one of the the actors that i recognize is mike star he's a very yeah. big italian uh, actor so he's, he's literally a monster and he and we can see that um that the dane has visibly beaten these two up for being incompetent yeah. uh and then he takes them uh, through to the two goons uh, accompany the dane and tom out into the forest to present them with bernie's corpse of course and and you know the dane is is utterly confident they will find nothing so he's saying things like just so you know we don't find bernie we're leaving a fresh corpse here <laughs> yeah, um, exactly, and yeah. And Tom actually is considerably worried about this. It's one of the first times he loses his cool because he actually... He, the, he pukes, doesn't he? He starts puking up, yeah. which the Dane takes as his confession and you know, takes his hat away and skims it away into the woods ready to execute him. Um, but whereupon, one of the goons, Tic Tac, the little lagoon, um, happens to find a dead body. Who would know oh. it? So they, they found Bernie. Um, although they said, you know, the, the second shot didn't just go through his brain, it blew off his face. So the body is... Yeah. Is unrecognisable, but quite clearly, you know, it's it's the same size and, and age and shape. Well, as and bird. it's in Bernie's clothes. That's true, also yes. Um, and and the birds have been at it, so that's nice. It's basically <laughs> yeah. a, a Bernie-shaped corpse is in the woods. Um, so Tom is momentarily off the hook, um, 
and and goes back to his investigations of uh, of what Bernie's up to because Bernie is still planning to bet on this fixed fight that's happening on Saturday. Um, so to, Tom is, is finding out what this is by basically investigating the people that Bernie's been betting with, um, and then. He has a chat with Bernie who confesses that it wasn't, it was in fact the other person in the woods was put there by Bernie. Bernie did kill someone and he killed Mink, um, his, his lover, who basically when he showed up, Mink was far too skittish to, to, to see him and was terrified. So they thought, well, best thing to do is take care of Mink and then pop him in the, in the body because Tom could use an alibi there. Um, and I think at this point then Tom decides to make his play and say, oh, by the way, Bernie, I've been thinking about our deal and you can stick in your ear. It's like, we, 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 we're both, we're both, you know, I've got nothing on you. You haven't got on me. So I'm calling you bluff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bernie is quite shocked at this. He said, well, I'm now I'm going to shake you down. You give, you come to my place at four o'clock in the morning with a couple of grand, or I'm going to tell Casper about you. Um, yeah. and you so can that, hear Bernie on the phone going, well, wait, wait, Tom, wait. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not quite used to this this kind of bluff being called. Um, and and so then Tom goes set up his next piece of the the, the puzzle where he took, speaks to Casper. Um, and he's about to say, look, I've just spoken to Mink um, and him and the Dane are in it together. At which point the Dane appears from the shadows and, uh, and says that the Dane was investigating um, one of he'd been following Tom still, even after having proved his worth. And he's um he's investigated one of the the confidence this this xbox has been putting the bets on for bernie and he's put two and two together and he thinks bernie's still alive and it was mink who got killed so eddie has actually jumped to all the correct conclusions um and begins to throttle tom um, to get that confession out of him but maybe actually, what i would have done what, yeah. I, what i would have done because um eddie the dane he, he he's always he's always kind of calling tom smart yeah. And it's like a, you know, he's looking now. You're so smart, aren't you, Tom? You're so smart. I hate you. You're so smart. You think you're so smart. If I was Eddie the Dane at that moment in time, before trying to throttle Tom, I would have told Johnny Casper everything I knew. Yes. That's the mistake he made because he just yeah. decided to kill Tom Reagan before telling Johnny Casper. Yeah. Although I think hearing the death, because he's, he's, throughout the whole film, the only time the Dane shows any kind of uh, passion is when Mink is threatened. And he's yeah. clearly actually was very fond of Mink. And so hearing about his murder is, is just happy to tear Tom's head off. Um, and in fact, we should mention that yeah, before that, before this has happened, um, Tom Reagan, now he's in Casper's confidence, has been dripping poison in his ear saying, you know, Eddie Dane is probably in the, in the, the fix as well. You know, he's, he's um, close to Mink. We think Mink's been fixed your fights do you think eddie dane's after your position and casper um because eddie dane has actually already already um offered to kill you know or suggested killing tom mm. after he kills bernie and casper doesn't like that show of disloyalty even in somebody he trusts like the dane um so this this all comes to a head as, uh, as the dane is throttling uh, tom uh when casper decides you know, i think it's actually the dane's the bad guy and bludges him to death with a coal scuttle <laughs> yeah and then shoots him in the head and then always puts one in the brain. brains always put one in the brain yeah um <laughs> So, so he now believes that Mink is still alive and waiting for him in Tom Reagan's house. So, because, um, uh, yes, they said basically Mink is waiting for a payoff. So Casper fills his wallet full of money and goes off to, to buy Mink's story and get everything confirmed. Um, but Mink isn't there. Bernie is there waiting to kill Tom because Tom has tried to double cross him. So what happens then is that um, Bernie shoots. Again, this is, this is typical Coen brothers. We don't see it. No, Tom, hear the shots as Tom Reagan walks up to his apartment. Yeah, we, we, so Tom follows Casper in. We hear a shot. The next thing we see is Casper dead on the banisters, um, and Bernie giggling there, having finally dispatched his nemesis. Um, 
Tom then manages to get the, the pistol off Bernie because they decide they're going to frame the Dane for this murder, at which point Tom goes, oh, actually, we can't do this. The Dane's dead. <laughs> and then he takes Casper's gun and advances menacingly on Bernie, who is a little bit confused because he thought everything was square. No one's got anything on anybody. And why would he kill him? Is there no angle. Um, and yeah. he then, then tries his routine again of don't kill me looking to your heart, at uh, which yeah. point Tom just says, what heart? And then kills him through the brain. Yeah. In the meantime, he's taken the the... the copious amount of um, money from uh, Johnny Casper's jacket as well and pocketed yes. that to Which, pay off Lazar. To pay off his Lazar and then put a bet on the fight he knows is yeah. fixed. So he ends up ahead with his gambling after all. Um, Werner uh, has previously cut... Uh, so then the film ends. Werner is, is, is through with Tom because she thought he'd killed Bernie, um, even though at that point he hadn't, but then he went ahead and did that. Anyway. Did it anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and the, the scene basically ends with um, at Bernie's funeral um Werner drives off but she's going to marry leo um leo tries to offer tom his his old position back and tom basically says no I'm, I'm i'm done with it i'm not i'm not coming back i think he basically can't stand to be around leo and Werner again and yeah uh, this this is maybe where we can get into some of the analysis as well but just yeah. just uh, one of the, the the things that i found quite interesting at the end was that it, i got the impression and uh, this is maybe maybe this is really obvious or not but i got the impression that um what the film is effectively saying is that Tom planned it all because Leo is, is, is effectively saying to me, yeah, that was good. You did, you did, you did good work there. I, I, I never, you, you know, I never saw, I never saw that happening. You were, you even, you know, you even kept me out of it. Uh, and that was, you know, you could have told me about it. And, and uh, Tom was saying, well, no, I couldn't have done that. Yeah, he was saying it was a smart play, and he said, "Oh, I guess you also slept with Werner because it because it you know helped yeah. to to because yeah. otherwise it wouldn't have been credible that I yeah. you and I broke up." And Tom basically's answer is, um, "Who do you know? Do you know why you do everything?" Mm. Um, so I think you can read it that way that Tom had it all sketched out, or you can read it as Leo is telling himself that lie because he wants his friend back, and mm. and he wants he wants Tom to say basically, "Yeah, I did it to you know to sort of settle our our business matters, and I didn't really you know fall for Werner." Of course, I'm happy for you to get married. So it's like he wants Tom's blessing on their their wedding, but yeah. Tom can't bring himself yeah. to do that. So there's so there's there's this that's something I'd quite like to pick up in yeah. the analysis. Okay, but I think uh, remarkably we've managed yeah. to get through this spaghetti junction plot. There's a lot more in there, but <laughs> that's me clapping, by the way. That's not me slapping my my huge <laughs> belly uh, in lockdown. That is me clapping because that was a very well described synopsis. <laughs> thank you thank you um well having done that then i think it is time to look into why this film was chosen and uh, some themes in it my goodness there are some themes in it there are indeed uh, grab yourself a cup of tea or a whiskey perhaps um and uh join us again when we when we deep dive into the analysis of the film welcome back dear listener we have we have um we have crossed miller <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? We've well, passed anyway, Miller's Crossing. We've, we've passed Miller's Crossing. That's much better, yeah. Um, Turn left to the corpse. <laughs> Go straight on past the Tommy guns. Can't miss it. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and uh, Miller's Crossing was was huge choice for the February uh, podcast. Um, so, yeah, before we get into some of the analysis and the themes of the film, just wanted to um, ask you, why did you choose miller's crossing for this episode right um i think possibly on the superficial level we haven't had a gangster one for a while 
Um, Which that's, 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 that's but, very true, yeah. Yeah, but this this particular one was on my radar. I mean, Miller's Crossing has been with me again for a very long time. It was, I think I first came across it in the mid-90s when Channel 4 were doing like a Coen Brothers ah, yeah. retrospective. But it couldn't have been that retro because it wasn't even, I think Fargo hadn't come out. I think Fargo was going to be in the cinema. So they thought, oh, let's do the work of the Coen Brothers. That's like six films. And now if you imagine how many yeah. Coen Brothers films you oh, could do. I'm mean, just trying to think, what, 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 would, what was previous to this? You got Miller's Crossing... It was blood. blood blood simple was the first one blood which, simple, is, which, which is a, which is a very budget um yeah. film noir thing. it's very good though oh, i mean yeah, it's coma yeah. they're all the most always very good but yeah i yeah. like Blood simple but even, even yeah even in that like low budget um because francis mcdormand's in it as well so it's not it's not um, not yes, a bad yes, film at all yes, yes. um no. then you have uh raising arizona which is this wonderful screwball comedy then yeah. you've got this um, the then got, proxy? No, that's coming later. Then it's Barton Fink, oh, which yeah. was which was written in the middle of um, Miller's Crossing because Miller's Crossing is so convoluted it gave them writer's block, and to clear their heads they wrote Barton Fink. Yeah, um, <laughs> which you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's then it was Barton Fink. Then I think it was Hudsucker. Then I think uh-huh. it was Fargo, um, Big Lebowski, and then Fame and Fortune exploded and they decided to become big names. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I do think that um, y- you've got. You, you've got certain lives of the Coens and that early stretch, po- possibly possibly excluding the Huxa, the Hudsucker Proxy, I'm not sure, but I've, I'm quite fond of the Hudsucker Proxy. I've got to yeah, say, me too, yeah. It, it's not it's not considered one of their classics, though, is it? But but certainly that stretch up to certainly up to the Big Lebowski. Uh, I mean, they're all crack. I mean, they they are cracking films. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, they, that's a good filmography. It is a solid one on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Your your first eight films, all of which are pretty much critically acclaimed, yeah. um, perhaps with the exception of the Hudsucker Proxy. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think that was after Barton Fink, which is a tough act to follow, given that like yeah. one three palm doors and everything. And, I think if yeah, if, yeah, if, if Hudsucker would come after Raising Arizona, they'd have probably yeah. thought, oh, there's an upward curve here. Yeah, um, I think so. I but think so. I like it. I'm very fond of it as a certain film. But yeah, the um and the, yeah, this this kind of first tranche is like them looking taking a genre and doing their take on that genre. Or it, it's, like, yeah, they've done yeah, they've coined the gangster film, haven't they? Yeah. And it's not like they went on making three other gangster films. Like we've done the gangster film, let's go on to something else. Then we've done that one, let's go on to something else. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do fifty fifties Hollywood, let's do um those kind of yeah you know they did that yeah. that the man who the man who knew too much or something and then they yeah. do yeah they yeah they're very i do find their later stuff is a bit more hit and miss but but nevertheless you know they they are they are unique auteurs aren't they yeah definitely and so this film has been with me pretty much since then so mid 90s so very close to its, its release um uh, so that was the the reason again. I, I and, it, and it has stuck with me actually. I, you know, I liked it again as a as a teenager because you know machine guns and who wouldn't enjoy that? And it's, yeah. machine guns, tough guys, is very stylistic. It, I mean, it's, it's like one of those films you could watch it if you didn't speak English because it's so stylistic, and it's it's. Yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't understand, understand the plot less than you would right now because there's so yeah. much yeah, yeah. involved. There. But you could you could sweep along with it and get. A you sense certainly of, could. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. It, it's it's a film with a visual language which is yeah. strong enough um, for for you not to worry too much about the plot i don't you know i yeah. think yeah so it's a very pleasant again film to watch i it's i liked it at the gangsters and again i've actually this is a film that i've watched on repeated occasions since then it's not like i left it 30 years ago and never just come back mm. i've i've considered a film that the bears repeated watching because it 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 always rewarding it like the time i saw it you know a few days ago it rewarded me even then picking something new out of it yeah. and um 
and again, we, we're not 30 episodes into this. There's no, <laughs> no hiding that I like a good tight plot. And this is one of the tightest, most convoluted, most nicely structured plots I've ever seen. I think it is absolutely sharp and mm. and intricate and the pieces fit together even though there are a lot of them so um so that was the reason and then i found out you know retrospectively it did really bad at the box office so it kind of fits in the weekend at crombies as it was not really appreciated i think it had some some like um some like awards in 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 festivals but it was clearly not, not, not really um, though i mean it, 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 well it did it, and yes you're right it, it 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 was nominated for some quite obscure awards at some quite obscure um it was you but the yubari international fantastic <laughs> film festival in february 1991 it won the critics award well there you go right um it was nominated for the grand prix of the belgian syndicate of cinema critics that's it <laughs> fair enough so maybe not that works maybe not critically but, but, or commercially yeah. acclaimed but um, subsequently it has been it has been um lauded so it's in the guardian's best crime movies of all time is 24th and it's in total films top 100 films of all time okay so So, you know it's got it's got kudos and it's the atlantic's second best coen brothers film in their pick behind the big Lebowski. fargo i think Oh, Fargo, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's, so it's got kudos, but was not at the previous time. So that's the reasons for picking it. Um, and, yeah, we can dive right into to the, uh, the 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 themes or the, the plot of it. Um, I'm interested to have your take on it, because I could go on for this for a long time. So you'd better have first swing. I realise I've spoken through a lot of the plot. Uh, no, yeah, well, good. Yeah, so um, it just... it. Um, it's it's an interesting one, because um, I, I had no idea that Miller's Crossing did so badly at the box office. I've always considered... Miller's Crossing has, has been hasn't been quite a popular film and quite a um, quite a successful Coen Brothers film. It's certainly I think it would certainly be the first Coen Brothers film that I would have been cognizant of before then going back to say Raising Arizona and, and Blood Simple at a later date, yeah. if that makes sense. So yeah. you know it would have been the first one I would have been cognizant of. I've not seen it. I've not seen it before the viewing oh, um, right. here, here either. And there isn't really an explicable reason why because I'm. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge gangster film fan. The, the genre I find I tend to blow hot and cold with. I, I, I tend to find that some of the big, the big gangster films, the classics, I I'm a bit cold towards. So I'm I, I find The Godfather a little bit overrated actually, which yeah. is such a weird thing to say. But I, I, I tend to find that slightly irritating. Well, Goodfellas, you know, you know, as, as, as do I actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the, I think it's the weight of expectations. It's the weight of. I'm, I'm not saying that it's not a good film. I'm just saying it's not the greatest film ever made. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere in the middle, right? Um, I find Goodfellas a little bit overwrought um, and and too too kind of too important for its own good um you know so i I tend to find that gangster films i blow hot and cold with so but but when i when i do like a gangster film i I really like a gangster film and and miller's crossing would would certainly fit within that kind of pandemic i just don't know why i didn't watch it so i was you know very excited to watch it that there's uh, um so i liked the film right so put that out there let's let's not get to the end of of this with us still being coy about whether the film was good or not it is observably and demonstrably an excellent film and um, i was thoroughly engaged from the from the start from the very 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 superbly comedic but also slightly dangerous opening dialogue between um 
uh, Leo and uh, um, the John Polito character. Casper. Uh, you know, yeah, Casper, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, particularly Casper's kind of entrance in the film there is a kind of like sweaty um, kind of racketeer. You know, I thought that was that was excellent. Um, and, and so it, it hooked me from the start and it hooked me all the way through. There's, there's a... There's a couple of things I particularly enjoyed about the film. Um, and actually, w- when it comes down to it, these things that I enjoyed about the film, they also present some challenges for me with the film as well. Um, so uh, it, there's a there's the yin and the yang of the film, which I think is is something that I, I was reflecting on this afternoon, um, just after I watched the film. So first of all, I don't think I have seen a better realised film through its production design yeah, and it's um it's kind of stage and set design if that, that makes was sense. my note it's incredibly stylized and y- yeah the sets are huge too like they're, they're... they are so yeah they're, they're, and there's a few things in that so the production design in terms of evoking the the time period yeah. the clothes the fashion the way people talk the way people walk the way that the buildings look the interior design I think is is perfect. It's almost I, I I felt like I was there. I couldn't imagine anything being slightly off kilter or wrong about any of that. It looked perfect. In um, a movie it, which they said the budget was fourteen million, and the Cohen said it cost a lot less than that. Well, and that's incredible, really, because yeah. it it looks like all of the money's on the screen, right? Yeah. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Um, so th- th- there's the production design side of it right the, the the way people look the way people dress the cars the streets all that kind of stuff so the the the, the production designer is dennis gasner so he deserves a lot <laughs> of credit for that because that is brilliant and dennis gasner's he, he will have been most recently seen as the production designer for 1917 oh, okay so he's you know still does very good quality production design so that very very clear now well, this, with, with, with yeah. yeah sorry i was saying this is reflected again i mentioned again how say big the sets are some of the some of the scenes like tom's apartment is absurdly big yet characters have to walk yeah. a long way to get from say the chair to the door yeah. um so, leo's leo's office is big the warehouse where tom is is, is yeah, eaten up is big. big and that just allows entrances it's very theatrical in how characters will walk on and they won't just appear like come through a door and chat they will take a walk to where they're going yeah. um you know when the police burst in they all charge through like this entire rugby well, no, uh, the prime example of that is when uh, Tom has um, gone to to Casper the first time, and Casper's offered him fifteen hundred dollars, and you know he basically says no, and so Casper then says, "Well, by the way, you, you you're going to have to wait here now while we beat you up. Sorry, <laughs> see you later." Then the the um, the Mike Starr character, um, he he starts to walk over to Tom because because this warehouse is so big. He starts to walk over to Tom and then thinks, hang on a minute, I've got my suit jacket on and my and my coat. He takes his coat off, he walks to the hat stand, he takes his suit jacket off, he hangs that up on the hat stand, and then he slowly walks back to Tom. This takes about two or three minutes. Yeah. yeah. And and the camera is the camera is still on the character as he's doing this. So it's quite a comedic element as well. Yeah. Um so this and actually the, the second thing I was going to come on with with regards to, to, to finish that scene, it ends with then Tom saying, "Can I take my jacket off?" So yeah. while he and the pretense of doing that, he grabs a chair and whacks Frankie 
across yes. the nose. Frankie yes. then takes a look, he, is, he like holds his bleeding nose, going, Oh, come on, Tom, Jesus. And then he yes. does a long walk out, and the set is the scene is still running. And yes. then Tic Tac, the smaller but more aggressive hoodlum, yes. then comes in and he starts get walks the very long distance but very quickly towards Tom, throws a chair away, and starts beating him up. And Tom is then beaten up and starts staggering across more of the warehouse. More so there's an enormous scene yeah. where this whole thing is playing out. Yeah, uh, but uh, but this is this is this is where the second bit about the the, the production design, which I, I want you to talk about, and, it, and it's it's mise en scene, mm. right? So the, the Cohen brothers are fantastic at mise en scene. So they are. I, I can't think of a director that is perhaps uh, or a directorial duo that's perhaps better at pl- placing people and things in the right place. Yeah. In front of the camera. Or people moving to the right place in front of the camera. So you mentioned Tom's apartment, which is huge. Completely agree. The mise-en-scene in that apartment is perfect. So it's a big apartment, but you've got soft lighting. You've got leather chairs perfectly placed. You've got a rug under the table. You've got a glass of whiskey. You've got an ashtray. You've got a a, a cigarette uh, just burning slightly. You've got the phone in that kind of old style phone that's ringing. You've got the light from the street just softly coming in. You've got the curtains blowing. And now it's a really, it doesn't sound very exciting, but the way that that's filmed is, is brilliant because you're, you're there, you're in that moment. And there are a couple of scenes what you've described where um, Tom's getting beaten up by, um, is it Tic Tac, the, the smaller, yeah. the smaller, yeah. smaller hood. What happens is that the camera is facing the door. You don't see anything, you just see the door. Then Tom falls into the camera and then he's getting beaten up. Then the police come through the, cam- uh, come through the door. So it, it starts off blank and then it all comes through. This happens again a bit later when um, the, Eddie the Dane goes to see Werner. And suddenly there are two hoodlums that turn up. And so he shoots them. He shoots one through the door, through the wall. And then you think, well, has he got him or not? And suddenly the camera is facing the the architrave of the door. And then the person that he shot slumps into view. Yeah. Just, you know, it's style, right? It's just pure style. Yeah. And that is fantastically done. That scene then ends with, obviously, Eddie the Dane has... has, um, kind of uh, let go of Werner in her apartment. She's obviously left the apartment. She's run off out the window. He turns around and the curtains wave through the wind that's coming through. And he says, you know, you can run now, but we'll we'll get you at some point or something. And then, then the film cuts. It's like a soft cut from the, from the curtains in Werner's apartment to the curtains in Tom's apartment. Yeah. And that's where you see Bernie. uh, So that's where you see Tom sitting there and Bernie calls him. It's a fantastic transition. And that's all mission scene. That's all Cohen brothers sorting that out. I will say, what I observed in the same in the same scene when the Dane is coming after Werner is Werner's apartment has one of these old fashioned lights that hang low and with the lights there. And we've mentioned Dane is uh, Jay Freeman is a tall guy, but he's set up to be even taller. This, and he's yes. menacing. And he doesn't, it's he doesn't set go up around exa- the light, does he? he doesn't go he around just, it. He ducks his head. So they've made the light seem. They've lowered the light, so all the other characters walk underneath it. But he has to move his head to go around it, so that to look, he looks even bigger but, and t- more terrifying. He, he does. And the thing is, any nor- and it makes him look mad. It makes him look yeah. insane because any normal person would just walk around it. He doesn't he yeah. almost walks through it but because he's pacing he's pacing directly on Werner without stopping so he's completely single-minded in getting her so, yes yeah, the scene i was gonna i was gonna mention because i think that's that re, that's a really clever bit of filming yeah. so the cinematography in the film is great that was done by barry sonnenfeld yeah. who went he's on to direct 
Men in Black, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The Adams Family. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's got heritage in it. It looks like it's a heritage film. It looks fantastic. Um, so the aesthetic and the visual styles was... was, was I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think I've seen a film that is as evocative in its time and place um, for a long time. You know, not for a long time, not like this. Um, maybe Once Upon a Time in America, the Sergio yeah. Leone film, perhaps is as good. There are some Tarantino films that I think he does it quite well, but I don't think anything's as good as good looking as this. I think the, right? yeah, the, you mentioned the time, the language in this takes no mercy. You are not soft. You, you, there's no easy entrance ramp into this. You better pick up on the slang they're using or you will be lost because they, they, they talk repeatedly and constantly in slang, often referring to the same person by different nicknames within the same sentence. Because yeah. like, like Bernie's referred to as the Schmada and the Hebe and the whatever. And it's like, well, is this still Bernie we're talking about here? Yeah. Um, and yeah. again, there's, so there's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, very dead, it's obviously stylized, you know. Um, but I also noticed actually, as I was watching this for the empty time, um, insults are thrown around. People are insulted to the point where they will turn in rage at each other. But I don't think there's any swearing. The closest you get is like someone's called a son of a bitch, and yeah. everything else is like, you know, just dangled, drop dead, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's, but the way it's delivered and the context it's put in, you understand that these people are antagonizing each other to the point of, of murder. I mean, it's it's yeah, you're right, and it's pulpy, isn't it? It's pulpy and it's, it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just imbued with style, which kind of raises it a bit, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, You've and got Albert and Finney doing that kind of language. It is, it is, it is raised up. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a uh, c- couple of other things. I don't know. You know, let's 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 hand the baton back to you there. So that that's my the the. the it, of, of of the kind of my feelings about the film, those were the things that really stood out for me most of all that I I really I really engaged with. Yeah. Now, um, again, I'll, I'll come back to the original point I made and, and expand on it was that it's a very tightly plotted movie. Um, mm. Again, more so than maybe any I've seen because to me it's like a chess game in that every single scene, almost without exception. Tom is either better off or worse off than where he was when the scene started. And mm. it's like, and it's just like another piece has been moved. It's, it's he either gets more information. He tells something, something someone's moving on him. It's, and it's every, it's, that's the entire film's worth of scenes. It's not like there's, there's a break in it where they can have a dance number. It's, it's like in that to me is incredible plotting. I can understand why they got writer's block doing it because a lot of moving pieces have to fall in the right way. And it's all, and it's, it's not almost like, you know, where you're doing, I don't know, a war movie and you've got to move the tanks in a certain direction. It's all about who knows what, at what time, who do they know it about, who else knows the same thing, what do they believe, and how are they being manipulated? And it's all that that comes together. And I don't think there's a loose thread in it, which is quite an achievement. Um, and 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 when having knowing that, again, knowing that these scenes, um, this is why, again, I, I regard this as a classic in the sense of it bears repeated viewing, because, again, I've reviewed it repeatedly. There are things you pick up on that you can't get from the first viewing, which is quite bold for a movie to do that. But, for example, um, early on, um, Leo... Uh, um, Tom is woken up late at night by Leo coming to see him. And Leo is saying, I'm really worried about Verna. I put a tail on a rug. He's gone missing too. And, mm. and but that's pretty much what he's come to say. He's saying, Tom, can you find Verna for me? I've lost her. Tom, as he, as he wakes, he hears the knock on his door and he goes and he makes, Gabriel Byrne makes some show of closing his bedroom door. Doesn't yeah, like, but... he better, like close the door, go see him. And you realize he's done that because when the scene's over, he goes back and Verna's in his bed, yeah. um, having just stepped together. But you don't know that you're not given that clue but then you watch that again and you realize Tom is very worried that Leo, yeah. that Leo knows because when he's saying, I can't find Werner, 
you see Tom Cuggling like, what is it? What is he? What is he, is he yeah. testing me? Yeah. And he goes, I put someone to follow her. You did, and now he's yeah. really worried. Yeah. But, the, but you watch that the first time, and you think it's just information being imparted about rugs gone missing and Leo's worried. Yeah, you're right. Because uh, uh, when 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 you when it's revealed that Werner is in the bedroom, it makes the drinking at 4am seem more sensible, right? Because he, yeah. needs, he needs to take the edge off it. So he, he immediately walks out and offers Leo a drink yeah. and then he has a drink himself. Then they have another drink. And I'm thinking, it's four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> God, God, how can he do that? These are gangsters. Four o'clock is a normal time. But you're right. It's like, yeah. And in fact, Tom takes his biggest gulp when Leo says something like, I've put a tail on Werner and someone to follow him. Yeah. It's like, right, yeah. really? Um, so it's things like that. It's 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 that. It's, it's there's so many small details in things like that. again the fact that, um, and I suppose this this ties into it as well. Uh, I had a, a, a quote once about say Lord of the Rings is that Tolkien breaks a lot of the rules about what makes a good novel. He, he okay. yeah, there are you know there's like reams of pages of description. He puts songs in the middle of it. There's things you do not do in a book if you mm. want it to be popular and successful. And of course, it, it, it broke all those rules and still was yeah. popular and successful. This is in many ways similar. It according you know if i didn't like this movie as much and i was nitpicking at it um or if it wasn't as good a movie if the rest of the thing doesn't wasn't carried up if the style if the, the actors mm. if the story there's things i'd be saying like you can't introduce a character and not show them bernie is yeah. the, the fulcrum around the entire plot and we don't see him for half an hour we don't even see a picture of him um yeah. and they're referring to him all over the place and you don't even know whose relationship is you don't know that bernie is Werner's sister until like after thomas slept with her you don't know that mink is bernie's lover until act of mink has gone off with Werner because they're just friends um and it's things and like mink is 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 quite an important character in the convoluted plot but, but he's, he's hardly in it he's seen yeah. once and he's in one phone call and he's so, so that's it so, so this 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 is really interesting, Hugh, because um, in, in part the um, the divergence of our discussion around Strange Days was around my appreciation of the technical aspect, of the <laughs> yes. and what you disliked was the, the 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 lack of the plot or the 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 meanderingness of it, I guess, to yeah, a certain yeah. extent, right? And the fact that you didn't necessarily believe the characters. So, what I've written down here is. I don't think the plot is particularly complicated, but the way it's described is complicated. It's very verbose. It's almost overwritten. It's theatrical and descriptive of events that we've not been privy to or characters we're yet to meet. And there are a lot of characters that we're yet to meet and scenes that we've not been privy to. And whilst, whilst I... Look, this isn't going to be a one-star film for me, right? <laughs> so it doesn't have the same... It doesn't take me out of the film in the same way that it took you out of Strange Days. Yeah. Um, but I I do think that the dialogue and the complexity of the way that the plot is presented is overwritten to a point where I think that the film gets caught up a little bit in its plot machinations over moving the movie moving the film the emote the emotion the emotive core of the film forward a little bit yeah. um now i i have to reflect on the fact that these aren't these aren't major issues for me because the film's good enough in the way that it looks and feels for me to get over these issues but i did find that as the film went on certainly into its second half and certainly into its kind of its its final third that i was less and less interested in what was happening on the screen because I'd lost the belief of what was happening. And this was summed up by the end of the film where, and I agree that you can read it both ways, but I read it as Leo was saying to Tom, 
that was brilliant. You know, how did you think of that? That was fantastic. And when I play the film back in my head, I think, well, if Tom planned that, that's ridiculous because <laughs> there are so many points in that film where he absolutely couldn't have known what was going to happen. Yeah. And he was just taking a punt on things. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that is the principle of it. And that Tom is a ultra cool, ultra confident person in what he has developed. I mean, the original, the original uh, name for the film was going to be called the big head, right? Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps that is the principle of it that, that he has he has he has planned this out, but I couldn't I, I can't I can't believe the character I can't believe the plot that much toward the end of the film because none of it I almost said there were lots of plot holes in it so I, I couldn't believe that Leo would suddenly not be the main guy in the city that it wasn't described well enough. It wasn't shown. All I, mean, I say all that happened was that there was an attempt on his life, right? Okay, that's a big thing. And it was an extravagantly brilliant sequence. Yeah. But the consequence of it is that, yeah, Leo survived it. He took them down, etc. So maybe some of his kudos has gone. But suddenly, suddenly Casper is in the mayor's office, throwing them out. He's on the mayor's desk. And I'm thinking, well, that, that's a big leap from, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes earlier to this. Um I also didn't believe that Casper wouldn't believe the Dane. Didn't believe it. Okay. He's been with him for, what, 20, 30 years? He knows him intimately. Suddenly, this Tom character started, you know, drip-feeding this stuff in his ear that doesn't sound that believable. And all of a sudden, he's the one that goes, you know, right, I'm, I believe I believe Tom. I don't believe the Dane. I, I didn't believe that either. Didn't believe it. Okay. Um, and... Fundamentally, those were issues for me because, yeah, the, the the film is incredibly tightly written. It is really, really well written. It's really well written. It's almost too well written. It's too tight. Um, and because it's too tight, some of the plot threads, when they get loose, you can't put them back in again um, because they just don't work as a consequence of it. Um, one of the other things I wanted to just kind of touch on with regards to the plot there as well was... Um, I this is this is me describing a film that perhaps I wanted to watch a bit like <laughs> what you do a lot right I of of the of the two halves of the film the first half of the film I was totally engrossed in it was only when it got a little bit too double crossing double crossing that I kind of lost it a little bit yeah. but what I perhaps was expecting based on the certainly based on the first half an hour 45 minutes of the film was a gangster film that was perhaps touching a bit more on the politics of the city and the relationship between the different kind of structures of the city, the policing, the mayoral type stuff, and the relationship between different types of gangsters. And actually, in the end, all it boiled down to, which is what all Strange Days also boiled down to, was the fact that I think Tom, it was a love triangle between Tom, Leo, <laughs> and Werner, and a love triangle between um, Mink um, Bernie and the Dane and that's basically it now that's okay because film noir that's all it's about it's about the personal not yeah. about the bigger picture yeah. but in the end that's all the plot was when you boil it down we had a one hour 55 minute film of intricate plotting and incredible wordsmithery for two love triangles 
Yeah, I see what you mean. I took the actual the the whole chief of police and the mayor as a kind of um, a stylistic thing. Yes, you're you're right that it would because Leo has lost face. In fact, his house is burnt down and what have you, um, and we don't know what else is going on in terms of the background. Um, but I took the idea that you know first Leo was with these two, basically the mayor and the, the chief police are nodding uh, eagerly to him, and then we switched to Casper in the same position. Mm. I took that as more of a kind of again, a stylized look rather than a, a logical plot. Um, yeah. It was basically to show yeah, how, how the tables have turned because it also yeah. it, I, I did find yeah, it, it the days and the nights most together yeah, they forget about things happening yesterday and everything it's like people are where are they sleeping how are they recovering from their hangovers and because yeah. yeah. that, that rattles along too so you, you have to kind of keep your head back when, when things are happening at which night um, well th- th- there's there's another sequence right at the end yeah. as well when 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 Bernie is persuaded to give Tom um, his gun yeah I, I didn't buy that either because. I'm thinking Bernie. Bernie has Bernie is a, a bit of a slime ball, and yeah. he, you know, he's basically double crossed Tom by saying, you know, I'll run off. You know, you'll never see me again. And the next day he turns up again. He gave his gun away way too easily. Yeah, for my yeah. liking, I thought for someone for someone that is so so scheming, that's not a true. That isn't what that is. Is the need. For the plot to do that, yeah. So he does it, but it's not true to what I think the character would do. Okay. And that I think actually I think that for me is the is is the downside of the film that the characters I don't think the characters do things that I would expect them to do. They do things because the plot requires them to do it uh-huh. to get to the point of the double cross at the end. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't argue. Like, I can see. You're gonna hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about it without you saying. Well, obviously, Bernie was thinking this because you, you yeah. took the from the film what you will. I could, yeah, I could, I, I can, I can visualize the scene when he just hands the gun over, and it was, there were rationales given to it, but yeah, it well, felt like he, yeah, it, it went from the, yeah, went from it, the fact yeah. that he went to Tom's house to kill him, and then he decides not to because maybe it was because he just, you know, he felt the, the relief of it's over, and they both thought it was over. Yeah, maybe. It, yeah, maybe. what it, it did occur to me at the, yeah, at the um this the last viewing of it is that in many ways it's like um the reason why tom you know is alone at the end having turned his back and everything is it's almost like he's the young man that went to war because yeah. at the beginning he's saying you know he's got these two old guys you know revving their engines ready to go to war and he's saying don't do it make peace make peace he's then yeah. dragged into the war and is basically forced to end it by compromising pretty much everything he has to betray his oldest friend he has to you know compromise his moral core by killing yeah, someone you're right and at the end of it he has got nothing he hasn't even got his old job back and and the, and the world goes on now i think he doesn't want to get drawn back into it maybe or he's just he can't face going through all that again yeah because and and I thought the ending was was really good actually because I I was half expecting him and Lee I half expected it to be all part of the plan. Yeah, that's why it, I, didn't I thought there'd be another like another because, twist where they yeah. both knew what was going on, right? But I was glad that they didn't. Yeah, the fact that he can't go back and reset it makes me think he couldn't have been planning it out. He was he was clearly going in there with the intention of. When when once he'd gone, I mean, when he slept with Verda, that felt like an impulsive thing rather than a, I'm going to start the play now because things hadn't really got going then. But having played the angle, um, it was yeah. the case of I'm going. I'm just going to go in there and, and get into Casper's skin. But things that he couldn't have planned for, such as being made to kill Bernie or deciding not to kill Bernie, which was definitely a, a decision he hadn't counted on. Um, yeah. Again, in, in, in which case, in which case, I asked myself what. 
what was the plot? What was the plan? The plan was for Bernie to be killed. He just didn't want to do it himself. This is the thing. <laughs> but then he's getting himself in that situation. So, uh, and again, I suppose this this comes down to the, the point at the end where he says, you know, you can read it two ways. Either Tom planned everything, in which case that's ridiculous, but well played, Tom. Or, <laughs> or in, you know, in, 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 in an entertaining film like this is, you kind of, you for, you forgive that, don't you? Because you're enjoying it. And you think, well, that's part of the film, isn't it? That's the that's the ending. That's the grand guignol at the end. Or the alternative is that Tom didn't plan everything and just went with the flow as things happened and just wanted Bernie killed. But if that is the case, then he he is actually not a very pleasant character because well, he, he, he decided he just to screw Leo. No, he was he was. He was always playing or advising giving Bernie up. That's almost the consistent thing. He was, um, in fact, the not choosing to kill him was the first character beat because he, he did have a plan that involved Bernie dying because he was he was calling Mick saying, Mink, you're going to tell Casper mm. that uh, the Bernie put you up to it and the Dane put you up to it and yeah. everything. So that was the entire plan, but it kept getting derailed because a Bernie wasn't dead. Then Bernie killed Mink and this yeah. kind of stuff. So he had he had a plan. And the plan didn't again come off perfectly until that moment when he could set everyone up where they were meant to be. But you're right, it did hinge on that moment of the Dane, whether Casper believed him or the Dane. I, I, I should I should I should reflect and be honest that the, the 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 some of the criticisms that I've highlighted, some of the challenges that I've highlighted, I believe to be minor points in my general enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Right. So if they were in a film, if they were in a film that I didn't engage with. They would have been significant problems, but the but for me the film is strong enough in its direction, in its aesthetic, in its style that I don't you know that they play on my mind a little bit, but they're not they're not issues for me in the longer in in, in the broader enjoyment of the film. When the film finished, I sank back in my chair and thought, I've been in the company of of some real craftspeople for the last two hours and and that and that's a great feeling yeah. but it's not necessarily an emotional feeling i didn't end the film going yeah woo, woo. <laughs> I, I ended it thinking yeah very very satisfied with that i, I would watch that film again and right. again and again to watch to watch it to immerse myself in it to drown myself in the feeling of it right yeah. that's how good that is Okay. So for yeah, me, it's, all of the artistic yeah. aesthetic side of stuff, that's five disembodied crombie heads right there. Uh, probably the strongest five that we've had as a weekend at crombies. Yeah. I would, it's, yeah, it's interesting actually. Um, what is in terms of the, the visuals for a film that, apart from the occasional gunfight and explosions, is a is a is a character piece, is a film that you'd want to see on the big screen because the visuals are big. Oh, yeah. I would love to see this on the, at the cinema. I would absolutely love it. Even even things like the, the scenes when you have um. Uh, the, the, I haven't come to the music yet, but um, the, the oh, scenes yeah. when um, the, the, you, the you have a visual of just the treetops in autumn yes. um, as, it, as it goes through, and you realise that is the look <clears> that the condemned man sees as he goes into the woods. But yeah, accompanying this is the music. Um, yeah. Who, who, but who's the music? It's um, by the, the Coen Brothers' usual. Um, by, uh, it's yeah. Carter Burwell. Carter Burwell. Carter Burwell. There's a lot of, of, um, of Coen Brothers stuff. And it's this wonderful... Uh, it's based on kind of an Irish folk song, uh, The Lament of Limerick. Yeah. But the music is it stands on its own. It is it absolutely does. magical. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. And it comes... It's not too overpowering. It comes in at the right time. It tells you enough about a scene without giving you the scene on the plate, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, it's, it's also... Uh, catchy is the wrong word, but it's... It's, it's, evoca it's evocative. Yeah. And it's again, it's it's up there with again you say the style of the movie, the choreography, the cinematography. Is, yeah. The music is one of the best things about the movie. 
But what I like about the music is uh, this is so often the case in these films. So Goodfellas is a prime example. I know that um, Scorsese uses... He, he doesn't use original comp, uh, scores in, yeah, in, yeah. In, in Goodfellas, but Goodfellas is known for its its music in it, right? It's known for its music in it, and I, I I find it so overpowering because it's a stylistic choice which is too much for me, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, you get focused so much on the music with Miller's Crossing, the music kind of washes over you a little bit, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean before you know it, the mu- you're hearing the music and you think, well, when did wow, when did that start? Oh, that's brilliant, and it brings <laughs> you into that scene perfectly. It's, it's never intrusive. Yeah. It's just the right level, and it's just the right cadence and pitch and rhythm, and it works perfectly for the scenes. It's brilliant. It's really, really, really brilliant. Um, it's you know, it's it's fantastic. In fact, right then. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Again, um, I, I played the the one note I had from it. It's it's not like a historical movie. It's like saying this has this is the nineteen twenties the way it looks because everything in it is too stylized. The language, the look, the 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 actions even you know is is and again the way that the, the police chief and the mayor flip flop around. Um, it's it's what it's more like is a historical piece of gangster movies rather than it's a copy of a copy. It is yeah. Oh absolutely. It's, it's, what's the word? It's a simulacra, isn't it? It's yeah, where yeah. Erzats a bit. So it's um, but it's but I, I tell you what that is. That's pure Coen Brothers actually, isn't it? So yeah. co- the, the Coen Brothers make. I almost find like they make hyper realized or hyper stylized versions of what we think a period or a genre is. But when you actually watch films from those periods or watch footage of those periods, they're not like that. But the yeah. Coen Brothers have somehow kind of they've put extra colour in them, or they've distilled it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, exactly. Something in it that they've done, um, and and I think again, this is probably the prime example of a Coen. This is the peak Coen Brothers film, really. <laughs> certainly of their early periods. Right. I mean, I want it. I, I wanted to. Um, it's not a historical piece. You're right. It's a stylized version of a genre piece, yeah. which is purposefully filmed the way that it's filmed, right? Um, but I, I mean, I want, I want you to know what your thoughts are on the Coen Brothers more generally as well, because as I, we, we touched upon it previously, in in their early run, yeah. this this is this is a solid, this is one of this is one of the films that would have earned their reputation, right? Maybe the the very first very good film of theirs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right there. Uh, in in terms of Coen Brothers, it's their early one I like the best. Like I say, I've um, I. I it's from Blood Simple, we Blood Simple, Raisin Arizona, Miller's Crossing, um, Barton Fink. I like possibly not as much as say the Palm Door liked it, um, because yeah. I, I find it harder to to access. But liked it, had like a proxy, Fargo, Big Lebowski. It's all the early, oh, oh, the early eight films. Right now as well. In the yeah, first. that yeah, that's I could count in there, and all that that stylized. It's um, I guess they it's almost when they did because they definitely did the Lady Killers, but it wasn't one of their, it wasn't like a Coen Brothers film. They they jumped yeah. in at the last minute to replace a director, and then through no um kind of active choice just kind of fell out i haven't seen every single film since then i've seen, i've caught up with like the big ones the um uh, was it uh was the cover one true grit and um uh they, they did one recently as well oh uh, no country for all men um things oh like yeah that. yeah, so uh, yeah I've seen that's the, very good actually isn't it yeah 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 and I've seen so I've seen the big ones, but haven't actually kept up with my Coen brothers. Which is not to say if, if I had the chance, I wouldn't watch any film they make. But you're right the 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 early years of the hyper stylized ones, I I think I still do like the best. Yeah, you're right, and um, I, I I agree with you completely because um, the, I, I'm I'm the same. There's no real reason why I've I wouldn't say that I've fallen out of love with 
Coen Brothers films, right? Because, yeah. as you say, No Country for Old Men, although that's, you know, getting on a bit now in terms of its age, but No Country for Old Men. Um, I went to see Hail, Hail Caesar at the cinema, um, yeah. although I didn't really enjoy it that much. But, um, you know, I would still go and see a Coen Brothers. I'm not a massive fan of Inside Lewin Davis. I think that's overrated. Um, yeah. I have no interest in watching The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, even though it's on Netflix and I could just turn it on, but it just doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah. Um, so there's something about them over the last, say, five or ten years, which has moved away, they've moved away from what I what I liked about their early films, which is that hyper-stylization, right? And, yeah. and, and the kind of work that they've done there. So I don't know what it is about them um, recently. Maybe they're just choosing films that I don't have as much interest in, right? Whereas... You know, I, I, on a good day, gangster film is a, a gangster film is a cracking film to watch, right? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, again, to make a similar comparison, like you know, any Steven Spielberg film from like the first half of his career, I would watch in a heartbeat. Easy. The others, the others, I'd watch if they're around. I might enjoy them. I might not, but I wouldn't know I'd enjoy them. No, no, I know, and you, you, I almost like I wouldn't, I wouldn't. So Spielberg's a good example of that. I wouldn't necessarily think I've got to go and see a Spielberg film. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas his first half, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, a run of six or seven films, you'd be like, yeah. they're all brilliant. Um, yeah. it, 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 a, a couple of minor things. The, the, the cast is quirky. The cast is great. Um, yeah. And, you know, much like most Coen Brothers films, the cast goes quite deep, but they 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 tend to re- they tend to cast friends and and family a lot. So Frances uh, McDermott take she she has a very kind of sh- small cameo as yeah. the the mayor's um, secretary in yes. it, uh, which is very good. Obviously, she was she's married to I think she's married to Ethan Cohen. So that's probably, that's pro- probably the only way they get Frances McDermott to play a role. That says I'll just fetch your coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But there's also a Danny Aiello is in it as well. Um, Who is he? As, yeah, and uh, it was the, the 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 kind of not he's a comedic police man, isn't he? Who, oh, who, yeah. who Tom keeps catching at the end of any kind of raid that's been oh, done. Yeah. He's the chief. I'm O'Doul. No, he's not O'Doul. Yes, the O'Doul. Yeah, he's he? O'Doul. Yeah. Yeah, and, O'Doul. Uh, I'm just the chief of police around here, so don't tell me if you don't feel like saying so. <laughs> yeah, and there's a really there's a really small Sam Raimi um, yes cameo as well. Uh, he plays the chuckling police um, fire fire um, shoots shoots the kind of Tommy gun into the um, into one of the uh, speakeasies that um, is yes. being raided as well for, for no reason at all. I'm not quite sure what that scene did, but uh, it's Sam Raimi's in. It's always a chuckle when Sam Raimi's yeah. in because obviously they're quite close friends, I think, as well. Yeah. But you're right about so the, the character list. I mean, there's there's great character pieces in there, and things again like I mean, Gabriel Byrne didn't have an awful lot in America. It was like the usual suspect in this. Um, yeah. Um, like Marcel Gay Harden's been around a lot, but not really had a, a huge standout role. Albert Finney, you know, is is a oh, solid Finney, character yeah. actor. Yeah. John um, Polito. I mean, I he's John, great. He's great in this. He is a brilliant character actor, John Polito, and this is probably his best role in it. Again, Jay Freeman, really yeah. good in it. Um, he's again, not John Turturro. Career has he? No. Jeff, no, he mainly plays the you know, menacing guys. Like he's he's been in like lots of um, genre pieces as the the tall menacing guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, this is probably again his his scariest role is in this. You know, some again, George Turo. Again, it's it's hard to say a career that includes the Transformers franchise how that would look. But but like he's he's really good when he's good. Oh, um, he is. In fact, even John, when he's in yeah. bad film, he's still pretty good. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I think um, my favorite John Turturro performance is. Um, uh, do the right thing. 
Um, I've not seen that. He must be yeah, and he's in that with Danny Aiello as well, and he's really, really good in that. That was 88, I think, so a couple of years before this. Um, but he's really, really good in that. I like him in Barton Fink as well, actually. And yeah, The Big yeah. Lebowski, I should add, because he's, he's good in that. But anyway, I mean, <laughs> he's just a good actor, isn't he? Um, yeah. Are there any films that you would recommend watching alongside this? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um... You, you think this stands This stands alone? It's it's because there's other gangstery type films like um i suppose uh, apart from the usual uh, <laughs> i was gonna say the usual suspects apart from <laughs> the, the, the the obvious films you'd think of mobsters is quite an unthought of that could be almost a weekend at crumbies it's um mobsters is there's a oh, film mobsters, called mobsters yeah. and they try to do for that they try to do for gangsters what the young guns did for cowboys um so that's you know if you like tommy guns and guys in good hats mobsters is one to check out okay um, all right uh, uh, i would i would go for a film it's it's, it's not quite the same genre, but it, it does overlap in certain ways. But the reason why I've chosen it is because I think it's a film that um, it's a film that I love. Uh, it's one of my favourite films. It's a film that shares a lot of its aesthetic appeal, has a very convoluted plot, um, but actually, when you break it down, it is still quite a convoluted plot. But but the brilliance of the writing is that the plot makes absolute sense as well. I'm not saying that, that Miller's Crossing doesn't make sense. I think it does. Um, but but the film I'm referring to is L.A. Confidential. Um, it's a slightly oh. different era, slightly different genre, yeah. but I think that there's a lot going on in these two films. The, the sharp suits, the, 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 the placement, the mise-en-scene, the aesthetic of the film, the plot shenanigans, the twists, the double crosses, all of those things kind of... I'd love to watch that and this in a double bill. Yes, yes. Yeah, different kind of cop movies, but yeah, that would be quite good. I suppose, yeah, so the, the cops are the bad guys rather than the gangsters, but yeah, it's the yeah, similar kind of feel. Nice pick. Okay, well, are we all wrapped up for Miller's Crossing then? I think we are. I think we are. It's it's yeah. time to it's time to time... escort Miller's Crossing out to the woods. Uh, yeah, some hang sure... up <laughs> Put one in the brain and give it its stars. <laughs> yeah, join, join us. us join us again. Welcome back, dear listener. Yes, it's that time of the podcast that everyone enjoys most of all. That's right, it's nearly the end. But before we get to the end, we have some disembodied crombie heads to dish out. Um, so, Hugh, it was your choice. So as tradition befits, you go first in uh, telling us what score are you going to give Miller's Crossing? The score uh, will come as little surprise. It's It was one of my favourite movies, Um it's and I again wanted to, to dive into it with a weekend at Crombie's Eye, and I wasn't disappointed um, to, to get mm-hmm. my hooks into it. I just enjoy again. It's it's a great movie to watch. Just again, the visuals of it, the characters of it. Again, it, it's unusual for me actually to enjoy a movie on a stylistic level as well as a plot level. And maybe that's what hits hits both notes for me. I love the plot of it. I think it's it's superbly superbly wound. Um, the characters really sell it. The visuals are outstanding. The music and the production is great. It's a for you know a third film by the Coens, it's fantastic, and it's going to have five floating crombie heads for me. Five floating crombie heads, only the third time. No, the fourth time. That's quite a lot, then, isn't it? <laughs> four times you've given five disembodied crombie heads. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, I'm an easy sell. You are. You are. It's all good. Very good. Very good. Um, I will. I will. Uh, I will give my my view. So, uh, I I agree with an awful lot of what you've actually said that I think that the film is fantastic. It's brilliant to watch. It's beautiful to, 
lose yourself in and to um, just immerse yourself in the aesthetic of the film. I think the acting uh, is uniformly fantastic. I think that the way that it's filmed, as I've said, the mise-en-scene, the cinematography is is some of the best that I've ever seen. Um, I think that this would be a solid, solid five-star film if it wasn't just for the slight feeling, the nagging feeling I've got in, 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 in me, which is that, that perhaps the film didn't need to be quite as complicated as it, as it was. Um, and if it maybe was, if it, if it had loosened its plot a little bit and wasn't so worried about getting that plot done, I think I would have emotionally enjoyed the film a little bit more. Nevertheless, I'm going to give it four disembodied crombie heads because it is still a fantastic film and I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone. You're dead to me. <laughs> Come on, it's not, it's not, it's not Phantom of the Paradise. I think that's very fair. I, I appreciate again what you say about the, the emotional level of it. Um, and you're right, there are, there are films that you, you can feel more emotionally moved by, if not, you know, um, kind of... Uh, I say aesthetically stimulated by, it, but yeah, yeah but it, nine nine photocopy heads or four nine, and a half. It's, it, it's very rich, strong. It's very, very strong. Stronger. And again, it, uh, it was a bit of a spoiler thing. Such a, a good movie into it, but it was an, an unsuccessful movie at its time, and that's what we're here well, to look. At. It, it's certainly within the weekend at Crombie's canon, definitely. I mean, uh, you you could very easily take a one scene from um, one frame from this film and put it put it in a frame. And stick it on your wall. Yes, I mean that's yes. how good it looks. There is a company. Um, we get the strangest things now. Okay, there's a, a company in America that will do you a, a very long landscape picture that is made up of coloured bars, and those bars are made up of the predominant colour of a scene in a film, all put together. So you can look at the timeline of a film in colour. What? I'm not even sure I understand that. So let's say, again, so if a film is mostly, say, has, has a blue setting, they'll take that blue and they'll make a, like a barcode out of it. And mm. the next scene, they'll take that colour and put that colour next to it. And so you'll get the colours and you can see how a good filmmaker will choose the palette of the film as it goes from, say, a warm blue to a red or something like that. You can, um, oh, it's wow. called, yeah, um, I'm not going to name it because they're not sponsoring us. But if they do, I'll name them. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when the recordings are. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fascinating. And again, they've not done Miller's Crossing because, of course, it's not well, it's not famous enough yet. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to see him do it because, again, just to, to those kind of it's those browns and those sepias and would look fantastic. Oh, they would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I've given it four. But don't get me wrong, the, the look and feel of the film almost dragged me into a five. Yeah. And in fact, I'd say about halfway through, this was a stone-cold five-star film. Stone-cold five-star. But at the end, I was a bit perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I introduced you to it and made you watch it then. If it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, It's always nice to get people watching the, the films you really like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, as tradition befits, he will be watching a film that he doesn't like. In <laughs> oh yes, I, I it, almost forgotten. What's next? What can I give one star to? Because it, yes, it's a James Evans choice of film. So for the March edition of Weekend at Crombies, I have chosen the film Personal Best. Personal Best. Personal Best. <laughs> That's a high, high mark. I've never heard of it. I look forward to watching it. Um, and I hope you will join us then, dear listener. And I hope also you will you will keep watching in the month of March because we may have something extra uh, for those who've, who've stuck with us and listened to it. We may be branching out into a new endeavour, film-related, um, for that will begin in the month of March but will not end there. 
Keep your eyes peeled. And your ears skinned. Stuff. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. That's that might give you give something away about the first film that we might be discussing in this new world. Will it? No. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell think we're no. Oh, grief. <laughs> 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 I hope we've, we've, we've added enough plot twists and convoluted things. You have no idea what we're talking about now. But yeah, exactly. uh, I don't think anyone cares anyway, do they? No. Uh, until that time, I wish you a very healthy and a very happy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. It's episode two, the February edition of Weekend at Crombies. And this evening... Oh, this evening. It's a podcast, James. It's atemporal.